Good morning, everyone. I'm back. Um, we are going to be moving into our time in the Word now. And so if you do have a Bible, you can open it up to Nehemiah chapter 11 and chapter 12. That's where we'll be today. Uh, we're near, nearing our end in our Nehemiah series, which is pretty cool. I believe there is one week to go after this. And so, yeah, this is, a, this is week 13, I think, in our series. So it'll be a 14-week series in the end. Um, while I was away, uh, the inevitable happened. Uh, we had planned to do 10, 11, 12 all in one message. And, of course, Matt then went ahead and did three messages in chapter 10, um, which is, just happens every time I go, I leave the building for more than 10 seconds. Um, but let the record show, I think that was a great idea. Let the record show. Uh, and so this isn't giving him a hard time. Uh, we zoomed in some really practical areas of, of life in chapter 10, which is really helpful. So thanks, Matt. Uh, and I get to now pick up the story in chapter 11 and 12. If you're new to the book of Nehemiah, yes, you are kind of hitting the end of a, of a fairly long series in, in this Old Testament story. And the story, it, it, it kind of sits at the very end of the Old Testament's narrative. And it tells the story of uh, the return of the exiles back to the land of Judah. So the Israelites are heading back to their homeland after their exile in Babylon. And so that's where it kind of fits in the storyline. And the story goes that God put it on the heart of Nehemiah, a man Nehemiah, to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the walls of the city so that the city could function and so people could live there and so that the worship of God could continue in that place. And so the story begins with this massive building project as he rallies the troops and they build the wall of Jerusalem so that people could move back into the city. Uh, and it happens. By, by a miracle, the walls are completed. And uh, we saw that epic kind of story, the progress and the opposition that happened in the first few chapters of that book. But then we get to a position now where, where the walls are completed, but the people are not. <laughs> they need to come back together underneath the open word and and, um, and find themselves rebuilt by God. And so we saw this kind of dynamic in chapter 8 uh, that Matt's put up on the screen every week for the last few weeks. Um, the people, they, they come, now that they've got a city, now that they've got walls around the city, they come together and the word of God is open. The Bible's open and they hear the word of God. And as, as they hear the word of God, it brings them sorrow because they, they see how far short their lives are of, uh, from the, the call of God on their lives. And they're grieved, they're distressed, and they're weeping. And Ezra and Nehemiah have to stand up and tell them, guys, it's actually time to stop crying about this. It's actually time to rejoice because we have heard from our God. He has told us what to do. He has made a way for us to come be with him again. And so they are filled with joy. They celebrate. And then they begin to start taking steps to, to adjust their lives to God's plan. In the last few weeks, we've seen specific areas where that's been the case. Uh, firstly, in, in the call to honor marriage. Secondly, in the call to, to Sabbath well and rest well. And then last week, in the call to make sure that they were financially prioritizing worship in their lives and giving to the temple worship. And so that's what we've been seeing the last few weeks. And then today, we get to the after party, really. It's, it's the crescendo of the book of Nehemiah, the party. And so we're just going to pray now for our time in the Word before we get to uh, Nehemiah. Father, today uh, we ask that you would teach us by your Word. Jesus says in, in John, 3, uh, John 6, 63, he says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. 
And so today, Jesus, we pray that these words would be true. Would you speak to us words of spirit and life today through the book of Nehemiah, we ask. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to jet through chapter 11 and most of chapter 12, and we're going to camp out of the back of chapter 12 there. Um, The passage begins with the people beginning to take steps to actually repopulate the city of Jerusalem. We saw back in chapter 7, verse 4, this this line where it says, "The, The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. So... There's a, there's a wall around the city, but it's a ghost town. So who cares about a wall if you've got no one living there? And so the next step is, is actually people moving into the city. And so this is what happens in our part of the text, chapter 11. It says, now the leaders and the people, and the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. And the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in their other towns. The people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. So you see here first, all the leaders, they've decided, you know, we're going to lead by example. We're going to go live in, we're going to move into the city. It's not going to be great for us. There's sacrifices to be made, but we want to be part of that. So they moved into the city. And then everyone else agrees that we're going to do lottery. We're just going to draw straws. And whoever gets the short straw is moving into Jerusalem. Uh, But we see some other guys as well who actually stick up their hand and they say, you know, we volunteer as tribute. We'll go. We'll go into Jerusalem. And, um, and, the, and everyone just loves that, and they bless those guys who make the sacrifice. Verse 3. It says, And the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem, now these are the chiefs of the province, but in the towns of Judah, everyone lived on his property in their towns. Israel, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, the descendants of the Solomon servants. And in Jerusalem live certain of the sons of Judah and the sons of Benjamin. He then goes on for a long time to list names. We're going to skip that. Uh, those names matter to the Lord, uh, but it will take a long time for reading it to read it all out. But yeah, most of chapter 11 and 12 is just listing out the people who have gone to live in Jerusalem and what their roles will be and with a specific focus on the, on the priests and the Levites. And so you get this picture from Nehemiah that firstly, he's a big fan of detail, <laughs> Um, but I think he, he's a fan of detail because he's a fan of, he wants to honor those people. Do you know what I mean? Like he, he wants generations to come to know the names, the literal names of the people who sacrificed to go and live in Jerusalem. And I just think, look, if it matters this much to Nehemiah, that he knows their names, he knows their stories, how much more does it matter to our God? That he knows names, he knows individuals, he cares about the detail on the ground in, the li- in, in our lives. I think that's something we can take from, from those lists. However, we won't spend time there. Uh, finally, it kind of concludes with these words in verse tw- chapter 12, verse 26. This is kind of a summary of that massive passage. If you've got your Bible, you can see it. Like I just skipped a few pages there, uh, but it is all names. <laughs> um, it says, and this sec- um, these were the days, these were in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Jeshua, the son of jo- Josadak, and in the days of Nehemiah, the governor and of Ezra, the priest, and the scribe. Verse 27 changes gears big time, and we get into what is the highlight of the book, I think. Well, the revival was pretty good as well, let's be honest. Um, But really, this is the the moment, right? This is the dedication of the walls of Jerusalem. This is the moment where the people, they just throw a massive party, and they just want to give glory to God for everything he's done. 
They want to mark the moment with praise that they have just experienced. And so what's happening is, is there a sense, they're, in, they're essentially saying, God, we remember what it was like before this happened. <laughs> you know, there's no way we'd be here without you. God, this is all you're doing. You know, our lives were a mess. The city was a mess. Everything was a mess. We were without hope. And yet here we stand <laughs> in a city with walls. Praise the Lord, right? Beyond our wildest dreams, here we are. And so they want to thank him for it. They want to just have a party about it. They're just so filled with gratitude that they want to make sure that, that they don't miss the moment and they praise him. And so essentially what happens is they, they, they set aside a time to come together, the whole people, they come together into one place just to party and to sing and to tell stories and to laugh and to just to make a holy raucous for the Lord, for his glory. And so I think there is something we can learn here as a church from, from these people about what it means to just stop every now and then and to just look back and go, how did we get here? God has done something. Let's praise him for that. Let's make sure we don't miss that moment of marking, marking the moment with praise. And so if you were here last year, this is what we did exactly last year. Last year, our church celebrated 150 years since it was planted in 1872. It's a long time ago. It's about 151 years ago is how long ago it was. And so if, if, you, knew, if you missed that day, what, what we did actually is we invited all of the pastors who are alive still, you know, 150 years, a lot of them had passed away, um, and we invited all of them back to come share some, some of their memories of, of the life of the church and, and how it is that they saw God move here. And it was, it was an amazing day. It was probably the highlight of certainly my time here. Uh, there you go. Those are all our living pastors. Um, you see Matt in the middle there. Um, yep. Um, that's actually my brother as well. My brother was the pastor before Matt on the second left. Yeah, anyway, we had, we had, it, was, it was a great day. It was a beautiful day. What were we doing? We stopped, and we just wanted to take a day to just dedicate 150 years to the Lord and say, Lord, thank you for all that you've done. And it was so, so right for us to do that, wasn't it? It was right. Um, if you missed it and you're really keen to go see it, it's actually all on, uh, we streamed it, so it'll be online somewhere, I'm sure. Um, but it, so that, that was right for us to do that day, but it's right for us now to continue to have a rhythm and a routine of stopping and looking back and thanking, thanking the Lord, living that kind of gratitude life. Let me ask you now, how is your sense of gratitude to the Lord today? How, what is your sense of gratitude like today? I remember about two years ago, end of 2021, whatever that was, um, fine, that, was a, that was a great year, but by the end, I was pretty, pretty cooked. And I remember kind of limping over the line that year. You know, I was, I was mentally, spiritually drained. I remember finding decisions very hard. I know that I'm struggling when I, I take a long time to figure out what shirt to wear. They're all the same. I wear the same shirt every, every day, let's be honest. Um, but I, I, like, when that's happening, I know something's going wrong. And I remember... Um, I remember this really distinctly. The last meeting I had for the year before I went on holidays, I was upstairs, up in that room upstairs with someone. We had the Bible open. We're reading Ephesians 5, I think. And I just remember the Lord impressing on my heart really clearly, just like powerfully clearly, um, him say, you've lost your sense of gratefulness. That's what's going on here. You're tired. You've lost your sense of gratefulness. And he reminded me that day that, that my, yeah, my own sense of gratitude to the Lord is a cl very clear barometer of how my spiritual walk is going. Am I strong in the Lord? I'm feeling grateful. 
my week in the Lord, I'm not feeling particularly grateful today. Let me ask you again, what is your heart of gratitude like today? How is your sense of gratitude? Because worship is going to flow from a thankful heart. Worship is going to flow from a thankful heart. And as we get into the text here, uh, we're going to see a lot of what it means to, to be thankful to the Lord, what it means to worship Him. And so I've, I've cut this passage into three parts. They all start with P, which is pretty exciting for me um, and all my type A brothers. Uh, preparation, procession, provision. I stole this from someone, so I can't even take credit for it. Um, pre- preparation. They're preparing themselves for worship. Procession, that's where we're going to sit really today. Uh, the procession of worship. And third, uh, the provision of worship. We're not even going to touch that today because Matt did a whole sermon on that last week. That's the, the, the financial setting aside, um, m- making plans for worship to happen. And so if you, missed, if you want to hear about that, that was Matt last week. We're going to really focus in on the procession of worship, what worship looks like on the day. All right, here we go. Verse 27. It says, And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness. So they go out into the villages and they go, hey, we need all the Levites to come together. We're having a party. We, we need to honor the Lord. So we're going to get everyone together. We're going to celebrate the dedication with gladness, thanksgiving, and we're singing. Those are three important words. Gladness, thanksgiving, and we're singing. With cymbals and harps and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netophethites. Nailed it. Also, uh, Beth Gil- Gilgal and the region of Geba and Asmevath. Mm, guys, um, I should have practiced these. Uh, for the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. So we learn here that there's, a, there's like an order of people called the Sons of the Singers. They were a group of people gifted. I don't know if you know this. Some people are gifted to sing. Huh. <laughs> That's pretty. Like some people, some people aren't. Uh, it must be said as well. I, I remember um, being in high school. I was about 16. I'd just moved to New Zealand for, for a year. I was in grade 12 over there. And um, I remember the music drama department advertising, hey, come along, we're, we're doing our new show. Um, like I suppose it was like the New Zealand equivalent of like the Rocker Stedford kind of thing. And for reasons I'm still not so sure about, um, I assume girls, um, me and a f- my, my, my brand new friend went along to go check it out. Um, it's hard to kind of, I miscalculated very heavily. Um, it was not for me. It was a whole song and dance, literally. Um, turns out I am not one of the sons of the singers. I thought I might have been. I was not. Um, however, some people are genuinely blessed by the Lord to lead musically, and they're gifted musically. And we are very thankful in this church for a whole bunch of incredibly uh, gifted people who I think we need to just take a moment to thank. There's some of them in the room. Can we just take a moment to just thank our worship leaders? Uh, we've got Jesse down here. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Jesse down here. Are there any other worship leaders in the room? This is why Matt's leading today, because they're all unavailable except for Jesse. And he's on every week. It's just Matt and Jesse today. Can we thank Matt and Jesse um, for uh, the way they lead us? Um, the sons of the singers, hey? Um, it's really important that we do that, because they work hard. Uh, verse 30. And the priests and the Levites, 
They purified themselves. And they purified the people and the gates and the wall. So there's, there's this ritual process of, of uh, purification, of, of cleansing that they go through before they, before they worship. Um, and it's about, we don't know exactly what it was that they were doing. It's some kind of washing, I'm sure. Um, but it was about preparing themselves, preparing themselves to worship. And again, today, this is actually an important part of our worship. Uh, not so much that you need to have a shower before you're coming to church, although that's recommended, can I say, uh, when we're crammed together a little bit. Please shower. Um, however, what this is talking about is it's in order, to, in order to worship the Lord, we actually need to be washed by our Savior, be washed in His blood. We need to receive that cleansing that comes through the blood of Christ. Not an external washing, but an internal washing, a spiritual washing, one that comes through faith in Christ. True worship is washed worship, worship that has been washed in Jesus' blood. Um, here, here's where we get to it, the procession. Okay, the procession. This is super exciting. Love this. Verse 31. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate, my least favorite gate of all the gates. The dung gate It's the worst one. Um, notice here, I, I find this funny. This is the wall that Tobiah said, you know, what? If, a, if a fox jumped on it, it would fall down. Do you remember Tobiah saying that? And here we have two great choirs all up on the wall, right? More than a fox. Um, and they're heading, to the, they're heading south to the dung gate. One of them is. And after them went Hoshaiah and half the leaders of Judah. And then all these other people, we're going to skip down um, to verse, at the end there, verse 37. Um, and Ezra the scribe went before them. At the fountain gate, much nicer than the dung gate, the fountain gate, um, if you had to pick one, one, one of them, go to the fountain. Um, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. So that's the direction of the one choir. So the one choir went south. The second choir goes north. The other choir of those that gave thanks went to the north. And I followed them with half the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens, the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, and by the gate of Yeshana, and by the, by the fish gate, and the tower of Hananel. So he's going through all the different places that they went, the tower of the hundred to the ship, sheep gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God. So they each went different direction, but they ended up at the temple. They, they, they met at the temple, uh, at the house of God, and I and half the officials with me, and the priests, all these guys, uh, with trumpets, and these other guys as well. And the singers sang with Jezriah as their leader. Verse 43, my favorite verse. And they offered great sacrifices that day, and they rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Just love that scene. Isn't that awesome? I don't know if you noticed this, but um, the word joy shows up in that one verse five times. <laughs> he doesn't want us to miss it. What's happening? A lot of joy, a lot of rejoicing. And it was God, it says, that made them rejoice with great joy. And that joy was heard far away. <laughs> Jerusalem's on top of a mountain. You know, it's on top of a hill. 
and sound carries, and they could hear those people up there far away. You know, this is this is no stodgy church service. These are hearts fully alive to the grace of God, alive with thankfulness to their God and their King. So the question is, what what is it that we can learn from this? What is it that God's saying to us today? Is the application of this passage, you know, you guys go north, you guys go south, and we do church kind of doing some laps around the building? Um, maybe. That would be pretty fun, I reckon. Uh, but maybe we won't do that today. Um, what, what I think is absolutely essential, what is unmissable in this passage, is singing, music, joy is at the center of their worship. Singing, music, and joy. Gladness, thankfulness, singing. You know, in this chapter, singing is mentioned eight times. Thanksgiving is mentioned six times. Uh, Rejoicing is mentioned seven times. Musical instruments are mentioned three times. You know, we get this picture. I don't know if you've figured this out yet, but our faith is a singing faith. We sing all the time. We don't need much of an excuse to sing, right? I don't know if you know that, but that's... It's a bit strange what we do, really. If you're new to the church thing, I know some of you are a bit new to the church thing, that's one of the strange parts, right? Like, these people just sing all the time. It's like, yeah, we do. We sing, we sing at weddings. We sing at church. We sing at funerals. We did that this week. We're in this room. There was 150 or so people singing praise to God, grieving the death of a, of a saint. We sing at funerals. It's a, it was a holy moment. And we forget sometimes how strange that is until until you bring a friend along who's never been to church before, and all of a sudden you're very aware how weird it is that you stand up with a group of strangers and sing. <laughs> you know, not just happy birthday either, right? That's the one song that we might, we might do. Um, but music, is, it's a precious gift given to us by God. It's a gift given to us. And so we're happy to be odd on this one, I think, because it's a, it's a great thing. Um, Martin Luther, the, the great 16th century reformer, he loved singing. And he went out of his way multiple times to, um, to tell people that they really should love it too. Um, as long as we live, there is never enough singing, was his opinion. This is what he had to say. He said, next to the word of God, music deserves the highest praise. The gift of language combined with the gift of song was given to man that he should proclaim the word of God through music. Love that. I've got one more from Martin Luther, which is my favorite one. Uh, he's got a way with words, and a particular, he's got a bit of um, personality. You'll see. Uh, he says, a person who gives this some thought, who thinks about music, and yet does not regard music as a marvelous creation of God, must be a clodhopper. Indeed. And, he goes on, that's not enough, and does not, to be deser- does not deserve to be called a human being. <laughs> He should be permitted to hear nothing but the braying of asses and the grunting of hogs. He, look, if you don't like music, he's coming to get you. That's what he's saying. He's like, you're, he just kind of, he gets angry. He he gets, the thought of you gets, makes him angry. And so, look, the Bible, I think, teaches us from cover to cover um, that that singing is central to the life of faith. It it doesn't go so far as to directly call you a clodhopper. But if you read between the lines, you might get that kind of impression, right? Singing is it's part, of, it's part of the gift that God has given us to worship Him. And so what we're just going to do for the rest of our time today is just think through three different reasons, three different ways um, 
yeah, three different fundamental reasons to sing. And uh, we'll call them upward, inward, and outward. We'll call them that because that's what they are. First reason to worship. It's the obvious, upward. We sing as worship to God. We sing as worship to God. This is first and foremost in every single sense. It's all about this. We could have just done this one. Um, but this is, this is unmissable, right? We sing as worship to God. And this, I think, is crystal clear in the book of Nehemiah today, isn't it? Why are they singing on the wall? They want to give glory to God. They want to thank Him. They want to worship Him. Right? This is about thankfulness and gratitude. You see that in the language used in the book of Nehemiah as well. Verse 31, 38, and 40 all say, the choirs are there to give thanks. Give thanks give thanks. The two great, great choirs gave thanks. The other choir of those who uh, gave thanks went that way. Uh, both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God. And so whenever we talk about worship, you know, we, if you've been around church for a little, little while, um, it's always good to point out that worship is, is much bigger than just singing. Like singing, like you can sing and not be worshiping, obviously, right? We, we, you know, we go to places like Romans 12 verse 1, which tell us uh, which say, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, for this is your spiritual worship. So in the, in the words of Paul in Romans 12, verse 1, all of life is worship. All of life, not just your singing. All of life is worship, not just singing. Um, so worship is more than singing, absolutely, amen. However, worship is not less than singing. It's not less than singing. If you're a Christian here today, we sing because we have great reason to sing. God has called us to sing. Right? You have a great God who is at grace, great cost to himself, laid down his life that you might become his child. We have great reason to sing. We have great reason to sing. So let this be a correction to us. At our church, how we, how we approach music. Music in our service, our singing, is not filler. Do you know what I'm saying? It's worship. It's not filler. Our worship, our singing, our music, is not preparation for the sermon. It's worship. It acts as preparation to the service, but it's not, it's not filler. It's not transitional. It's not functional. It's, it's worship. A singing is not to be cheapened or seen as a dispensable part, like an optional extra. If we have time to it, we'll get to it. Singing is worship. So I guess on a practical level for us, um, you know, those first few songs in our, in our church service, they're not kind of there if we get to them, if, you know, if, like a good time to come into the building. <laughs> That's half the church today, I'm aware of that. But, um, you know, I'm not having a go if you're running late because that genuinely, genuinely happens. And so this isn't about tidiness. This is about seeing those first few songs as optional. If we get to them, that's great, but maybe not today. No, it's worship. That first song is worship. It's not, you know, that attitude that sees those songs as just, yeah, hopefully we can make it, maybe not. It's worship due to our good God. He cares about our heart. He cares about our worship as a church. So let's try and honor the singing of his praises in this church as an important part of our time together. 
that's the first most obvious thing. We sing as worship, with hearts of gratitude, with gladness, with, with, with rejoicing. Uh, the second reason we sing, the inward reason. The inward reason to sing. What is that? Well, we sing. when we sing, God has designed us that it strengthens us. It strengthens us. It fortifies us. fortifies our souls. A song is a, is a it's powerful gift given to us by God. It's a gift that has a powerful effect on our heart. I think of, um, I think of the fact that we'll, we'll probably never remember a sermon, but we'll always remember a song. Years from now, when you're lying on your deathbed, you won't be remembering, oh, Matt said that. You'll remember the song that you sung a thousand times at an encore. That's what you'll remember. So that's what you'll be able to recall those lyrics, no problem. God's wired us this way. It's why we teach kids the alphabet by singing. It's a reason. It goes in. The Bible teaches us this in Colossians 3.16. Just to jump out of Nehemiah for a moment, uh, we get these words from Paul in Colossians. He says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it get into your heart, into your bones. Let it go in. Let the word of Christ get into you. Teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom. Singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. How do we get the word of Christ to dwell in us richly? At least one of the ways given here is that we sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. The singing helps the truth go in. God made us that way. That's just how humans are wired. The truth, the singing makes the truth go in. So as we, as we sing, we're, we're rehearsing the truth that we're going to need that week. We're reciting it back to ourselves so that when we go through those times, we can lay hold of the truth. When we sing gospel truths that are, that are soaked in Scripture, we're, we're training ourselves. We're, we're training our hearts to love. We're training our minds for for focus, we're training um, our souls for, for the battles that we're going to be fighting that week. It strengthens us. So don't underestimate the power of song in shaping your life, in shaping your heart, in shaping your, your worship. It draws us closer to God. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but on the night that Jesus was to be betrayed, arrested, and then in the morning, hung on a cross. He was singing. In the mind of Jesus, prayer and singing, that's, that's what he turned to, for strength. I think he was also teaching his disciples something in that moment. He, on the, before he went to the Man of Olives, he, he sung a psalm, probably. What do you think it would have been like to have been in that room with just the 12 men? And Jesus singing, singing worship. What does his voice have sounded like? Song is a gift to us. So let's, let's not ignore the gift that he has given to us. Finally, often overlooked reason for us to sing the outward effect it has. As we sing, we're worshipping our Father, yes. We're inwardly strengthened, yes. But something else happens. Proclaims the word of God to others. It has an outward effect. We sing for the encouragement of others and the procl- and proclamation to the watching world. Um, 
Singing is one way you get to practically love other people. I know that's slightly controversial if you can't sing, but it's still true. You might think, I'm loving people by not singing, trust me. No, absolutely not. I'm not giving you that one. <laughs> I personally love standing in front of people who sing as loud as they can and can't sing because it says something to me about what they believe. <laughs> they believe that their singing is to the Lord, and it has a positive effect on me. It's not, it doesn't sound beautiful, but it sounds beautiful. Do you know what I mean? I love hearing you sing if you can't sing. Trust me. God uses our voices to declare the truth to one another as we sing. That's what's happening. But that's not all. It's not just, okay, we're, we're going to encourage those, uh, the, the brothers and sisters in the church. No, no, we're also going to show the world that we actually believe what we believe. It's, there's a missional impact. We we're showing people what we believe. Look at um, Nehemiah 12, 43 again. It says, They offered great sacrifices that day, and they rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Not just the sound of Jerusalem, not just the singing of Jerusalem, the joy. They could feel the joy far away. You know, um, Keith and Kristen Getty have a book, have a book called Sing, about singing. Um, and they tell a story of a friend who was coming along to church for a bit, who was interested in Jesus, checking it out, kind of checking out the church thing for a bit, as some of you might be here today doing as well. It's great to have you. Um, but this friend had decided after visiting a number of churches and kind of watching how church worked and sitting in the crowd, kind of looking around, um, this friend decided either these people, um, what they were singing wasn't true or it wasn't particularly wonderful because these people didn't seem to care about what they were singing. So they were like, it doesn't really, yeah. So watching confessing Christians not care about how they sung to their Lord drove her away from church. <laughs> These people actually believe what they believe? It doesn't look like it. Look around. Man, I pray that it's, it would never be true in this church. If Suncorp Stadium can ring with 50,000 voices over a football game, surely the Church of Jesus can sing loud. The truth is, guys, we have, we have more reason to sing than anyone else in the world. We have more reason to sing, and we should sing with more joy than anyone else in the world. We have a good God. We have a good God. So let's sing. Let's rejoice with gladness and with thanksgiving. And let the joy of this church be heard far away. Let's pray. Lord, it is true that my sense of gratitude is directly linked with my spiritual health. It's an indicator of how I'm traveling with you. So I pray today that you would increase our sense of thankfulness. Increase our sense of thankfulness to our good King, all that we've received from you.
Jesus, we have received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. We receive so much more than we deserve. Would that well up inside of us into joy and into song? Lord, we want to sing first and foremost because you deserve our praise. Lord, and as, as we worship you, um, you strengthen us. Even as we worship you, we st- you strengthen us. You're so good to us. So I pray, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you have washed us clean. Lord, you have made us ready to worship by your Son. We'll pray against the tendency towards stodginess and self-concern and self sinful self-awareness where we care about more what others think about us than we care about what you think about us. Well, that's wicked. <laughs> Lord, would you free us from the fear of man and replace instead a heart that longs to please you, our Father. Lord, I don't think we get there without without a serious dose of joy. I think joy leads us there. Joy frees us from those things. And so we pray, Lord, yeah, would you make us a a joyful people? Would you give us a holy joy? Would people be able to walk into this church and recognize, you know, I don't know know if I agree with these people, but they seem to... (laughs) They seem to really be full of joy. (laughs) Yeah. Would we worship you as you deserve, Lord? And now, Lord, as we go into a time of worship, as um, as Matt leads us, Lord, would we sing? Would we sing like we want the person next to us to hear us? (laughs) Lord, yeah, you've loved us so well. Thank you for all you've done, Lord. We want to mark this moment with praise. Lord, would you bless us as we as we sing now? And pray these things in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. <laughs>